All right, how's everybody doing today? Hotep, hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecture writer, and historian. It is Thursday, June 16th, 2022, and we are live. So I want to do a, a, a special broadcast today. Uh, this is Juneteenth season. We know Juneteenth is this weekend. I did. Uh, I was interviewed by three different media outlets on Wednesday, uh, dealing with Juneteenth and the history of Juneteenth, uh, dealing with African American history, politics, etc. So um, I, I wanted to deal specifically with this topic. We're going to get to some other topics deal with history, politics, law, economic empowerment, but um, the main uh, focus of this broadcast, I want to deal with the topic of. Juneteenth is a national holiday. Now what? Juneteenth is a national holiday. Now what? Everybody give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like. Share this broadcast. your social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in also. The reason why I wanted to talk about this topic, uh, I was on the Tammy Mac uh, uh, Business of Being Black show on Fox Soul TV on Wednesday. I was on with Dr. Carl Mack. And we were talking about uh, should uh, Juneteenth be a federal holiday or not. I was uh, interviewed by Angela Matthews on the uh, Ur Urban Information uh, News Program uh, on DET IPTV Wednesday morning. And I was also interviewed uh, for Bridge, Bridge Detroit Magazine by uh, Ken Coleman dealing with uh, Juneteenth also. And one of the things that I talked about is, yes, Juneteenth is a celebration of freedom. Yes, Juneteenth is a celebration of those enslaved Africans in Galveston, Texas, getting the news that they were free. One, we have to correct the history and protect the history and dispel some myths about the history of Juneteenth, okay? Because that's one of the things I'm gonna do in this broadcast, dispel, dispel some myths about the history of Juneteenth. But more importantly, we have to understand how do we use the Juneteenth holiday? Does Juneteenth become a black version of the 4th of July, or as Dr. Ishaka Musa Barashango called it, the 4th of July in his books, African People and European Holidays and Mental Genocide? Is Juneteenth about just about cookouts and parties and music, things like this, or do we incorporate history into Juneteenth, the history of the Civil War, the history of Juneteenth? the Reconstruction Era, 1865 to 1877, the Jim Crow Era, uh, the Civil Rights Movement, the Great Migration, incorporate the history of African people into Juneteenth, as well as the transatlantic slave trade. We have to incorporate that into it. We have to deal with politics. We have to uh, educate our people about politics and law and economic empowerment when we come together for Juneteenth. So we have to turn Juneteenth into a powerful celebration and educational celebration as as opposed to just uh having a cookout having a day off from work having a paid day off from work etc so that's what i'm going to focus in uh on this broadcast okay how's everybody doing give us a thumbs up give us a heart give us a like share this broadcast on your social media platforms invite your friends to tune in as well i'll also let you know about the uh the online history classes that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, and Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. And I'll let you know where I will be speaking for Juneteenth also. 
All right. So I want to look uh, first here at this article because we're going to dispel some myths dealing with uh, history. Okay. Uh, because Juneteenth was not the last day of slavery. And it's a good thing that Juneteenth is a federal holiday because it forces America to deal with a history that Republicans in many state legislatures are passing laws to suppress the teaching of this history. But if you watch my broadcast in the past, Juneteenth, if you watch the broadcast that uh, that I did uh uh, I, I aired last last year. I aired the uh, the interview that Angela Matthews did with me um, uh, dealing with Juneteenth as well. And I was in Atlanta. I said we have to correct the history and protect the history. OK, so we know that June 17th, 2021, uh, know that uh, Joe Biden signed into law the Juneteenth bill. This bill was Representative Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas. She's the same woman that's the sponsor of the HR 40 reparations bill. Okay. Juneteenth, the reparations are connected. If you don't think they're connected, you haven't done the research. You haven't studied any of this stuff. Okay. So we know that, uh, uh, president Joe Biden signed the bill in the law, June 17th, 2021. All right. And, um, Biden and vice president Kamala Harris, um, uh, at, a at the ceremony for the signing, uh, a day marking the emancipation of enslaved people at the uh, so, uh, after the Civil War. Hold on just a second here. Just a second. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. So um, at, the, at the signing ceremony, for the bill is a day marking the emancipation of enslaved people after the civil war should also compel the nation should also compel the nation to work to achieve equality in education and economics and in other areas. It's important for us to go to whitehouse.gov and read uh, about the, the signing of Juneteenth, read about the bill, read articles like this about what was said there. We have leverage the Juneteenth holiday and Juneteenth weekend to bring about legislation, to bring about policy, to deal with the racial wealth gap, to deal with uh, reparations, to deal with uh, uh, the, the health gap and things like this, okay? Juneteenth can be the launching pad for that, okay? We shouldn't just be happy, and I'm not saying people are happy, but we shouldn't just settle for a federal holiday, okay? Folks, the promise of equality is not going to be fulfilled until we become real. It becomes real in our schools and in our main streets and in our neighborhoods, President Joe Biden said at the signing ceremony of the Juneteenth bill. He said it's not going to be fulfilled as long as our sacred right to vote remains under attack we can't rest until the promise of equality is fulfilled for every one of us. Okay, now, very important that uh, President Joe Biden said here. Okay, then, we're, then I'm going to get into some of the history of Juneteenth and why some of the history is false and why we have to correct this history. All right. Now, we know Opal Lee, 94-year-old activist from Fort Worth, Texas. We know she led marches to, to get Juneteenth made into a federal 
holiday also. So I hats off to that sister. Uh, CBS News just interviewed her Wednesday morning. Uh, that's at CBS News uh, on YouTube. Watch that interview. We're going to talk some about this also on the African History Network show on Sunday, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, my Sunday, uh, June 19th show, the African History Network show. Okay, but um, it talks about here in her, uh, okay, in her own remarks, Vice President Kamala Harris noted that it took more than two years after the issue of the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, which declared the end of slavery in the United States for enslaved black people to actually become free. The, the emancipation, that's false. This is one of the things I'm talking about. The Emancipation Proclamation did not free the slaves. No, it did not. If you go to um, archives.gov, which is the Library of uh, the, the Library of Congress, if you go to archives.gov, or if you go to uh, loc.gov, which is the uh, uh, archives.gov is the U.S. National Archives, and loc.gov is the uh, uh, Library of Congress. Okay, if you go um, to those, and I'm pulling up an Emancipation Proclamation here at uh, history.com, okay? If you go to those websites, you can read the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, last year, around this time for Juneteenth, I spent half the time cussing at the TV and reporters on the TV getting this history wrong. This is why, even though Juneteenth being a federal holiday is a good thing if we use it correctly. It is a good thing if we use it correctly. Some of this history we have to correct because it's wrong. It was the it was the 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 uh, 13th Amendment ratified December 6, 1865, when Georgia ratified the 13th Amendment. That's what legally freed the slaves because you had to amend the U.S. Constitution. The uh, Emancipation Proclamation stated that the slaves in states that were in rebellion those slaves were freed, okay? But the slaves in the border states like Missouri, Delaware, Kentucky, Maryland, they were still slaves. This is why we have to go read these documents, okay? I'll show you history.com in just a second. I want to stay on this article here from the Washington Post. Once again, this name of this article here from the Washington Post, you can go read the entire article, okay? Juneteenth holiday marking the end of slavery becomes law after decades of inaction. This is from June 17, 2021, the day the bill was signed into law. All right. So when we have our Juneteenth celebrations, we have to deal with the real history. OK, the, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to I was listening last year. Re, uh, news report after news report got this history wrong. This was not the last day of slavery, this not the last day of slavery. I'm going to explain to you why. OK, now and this is not an attack on Vice President Kamala Harris. I don't want you to, to uh, get the wrong idea here. A lot of this history is wrong. But if if Juneteenth did not become a federal holiday, we wouldn't be having these conversations. There's numerous articles. I just checked today uh, on Google. I Google I, the past few days. I've been Googling Juneteenth to see the new articles written. We wouldn't have this conversation about this history if Juneteenth did not become a federal holiday. OK, but we have to correct the history and protect the history. All right. So. Um. There was a, a, a statement that Biden made right here, third paragraph from the top. This is one of the differences between Biden and Trump, one of the huge differences between Biden and Trump. President Joe Biden said, great nations don't ignore their most painful moments. They embrace them. 
Great nations don't ignore their most painful moments. They embrace them. Great nations don't walk away. We come to terms with mistakes we made and remembering those mistakes, we begin to heal and grow stronger. Okay. Now, uh, you've heard me say numerous times before, America needs a massive history lesson. America needs a massive history lesson. Juneteenth, as well as the uh, June 1st, the June 1st, they are members of the Tulsa race massacre. That gives us an opportunity to give America the massive history lesson that it needs. And this takes place during the month of June, which is Black Music Month. We have to understand how to use these tools, okay, to bring into existence the legislation that we want. Now, this article here is from the New York Times. This is from uh, June 16, 2021, okay, last year. Most Americans know little or nothing about Juneteenth. When I hear people talk about reparations, okay, and it's important to, to, to pay attention to what's taking place in uh, California with the uh, California Reparations Task Force. And we've been talking about this on the African History Network show. So if you don't listen to the African History Network show, Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we broadcast here on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, and uh, uh, my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, and also on 9, 10 a.m., the superstation WFDF here in Detroit, because I do radio here in Detroit, okay? What's, what's taking place with the California Reparations Task Force is monumental. And the 500-page report that they just released dealing with how the history of slavery and racism and Jim Crow segregation has harmed African-Americans, not just in California, but throughout the country and continues to do us harm, that is, that is monumental because that deals with the consequences of laws and policies, okay? That's what, when we talk about repairing the damage of a legacy of slavery, Jim Crow segregation, redlining, racism, things like this, contrary to popular belief, and I'll talk to anybody and have a conversation with anybody that disputes me on this, contrary to popular belief, repairing the damage is not just in the form of monetary compensation. You also have, also have to change the laws and policies that inflicted the damage in the first place and continue to inflict the damage. So let's look at this here, and then I'm going to show you quickly an article that we talked about this past Sunday that deals with the California Reparations Task Force. So most Americans know little or nothing about Juneteenth poll fines. Academics believe that increases in the numbers of Americans familiar with the holiday which commemorates the end of slavery. Once again, this is wrong. New York Times, they got it wrong. Juneteenth was not the end of slavery. End of slavery, you could, you, you could say legally, would be the 13th Amendment. Juneteenth commemorates when enslaved Africans in Galveston, Texas, got the word that they were free. General uh, Major General Gordon Granger delivers General Order Number 3, and they go through Texas for a number of days delivering that general order, okay? Uh, June 19th was the date that was agreed upon uh, to celebrate, but that wasn't the only day that uh, the general order number three was delivered. Okay, so if we look at this here quickly, uh, more than 60% of Americans know little or nothing at all. So, Sorry, more than 60% of Americans know nothing at all or only a little bit about Juneteenth, okay? Now, when you read the study, now this was a poll done by Gallup, okay? 
when you read this study, um, of course, African-Americans knew more about Juneteenth than white Americans. All right. I would argue a lot of what African-Americans know about Juneteenth is incorrect. Um, for three years, I've spoken in Atlanta at the huge three day Juneteenth festival. And I, and I would talk to people about the history of Juneteenth. And I would do presentations. A lot of people think that's a lot of our people still think the Emancipation Proclamation freed the slaves. No, it didn't. A lot of our people think that Juneteenth was the day that slavery ended in the U.S. No, it didn't, because there were slave owners, like a white slave owner named Martha Gibbs in Texas, who kept their slaves for an additional year and somehow kept the uh, information from them that they were free for an additional year to get a, 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 a is believed to get another year of work out of them and planting the crops, things like this. We also know that some of the five civilized tribes and Native Americans, the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians who owned slaves, some of them kept their slaves to 1866 and 1867. This is why you had the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. So even though Juneteenth is a day to celebrate, we need to come together on Juneteenth. But we have to deal with history, politics, law, and economics, not just eating ribs. And, and red pop and red velvet cake. Okay. Luckily, that red velvet cake nonsense was shut down at Walmart. We're going to talk about that as well. Okay. So we have to correct the history and protect the history. So um the so once again, New York Times got it wrong. The holiday celebrating the end of slavery in the United States. Uh now 37%. This was a Gallup poll, a Gallup survey. 37% of respondents who reported having a lot or uh, some knowledge of the holiday may be an increase from previous years, posters and academics believe, reflecting growing awareness after last summer's protests. So summer 2021, this article's from 2021, summer 2020, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, things like this. And this is one of the things because of those protests that gave an increase in the enthusiasm and the increase in the interest of Juneteenth among African-Americans. But because it's become a federal holiday, this forces many white people to learn about this as well, because they see they see they'll see it on TV. They'll see news articles on, on social media platforms, things like this. OK, so this forces America to have a conversation about a history that Republicans have been passing these anti-critical race theory laws in state legislatures that Republicans dominate and being signed into law by Republican governors. This forces a conversation that Republicans are passing laws to suppress the teaching of this history. So uh, a lot, some knowledge of the holiday may be an increase from previous uh, years, posters and academics believe, reflecting growing awareness after last summer's protests against racism and police brutality. The survey, the results of which were released Tuesday, so this is a couple of days before uh, this would have been, uh, it was Thursday that the bill was signed into law, June 17th. So this would have been Tuesday, the 15th, 2021. Um, Tuesday found that nearly half supported teaching the history, half of the people surveyed supported teaching the history of Juneteenth in public schools. There was less support, 35%, for making Juneteenth a federal holiday. Only 35% of those surveyed agreed with making Juneteenth a federal holiday. But only a quarter of respondents said they were opposed to the idea. OK. All right. Now, 
Uh, so read the rest of this article here. I think that's most of what I want. Now, there were 14 Republicans uh, that voted against this bill, 14 Republicans in the House of Representatives. It was unanimous in the Senate. Senator Ron Johnson, who opposed the bill previously, he said he opposed. Now check this out. If you know, Senator Ron Johnson is a conspiracy theorist. He's a Trump uh, lackey. He needs uh, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. I just want you to see how ridiculous this is. OK, he he opposed when the bill came up in 2020. Senator Ron Johnson opposed the Juneteenth bill for economic reasons because he did not want to make it a federal holiday because he said it would it would cost an estimated six hundred and sixty million dollars to uh, pay uh, federal employees uh, uh, for, for this federal holiday. OK, if we go to this here, this is fourth paragraph from the bottom of the article in an interview Thursday. I just want you to see how stupid some of these Republicans are and why they need to be voted out of office. Uh, where is that here? Let me find this here. OK, but the the, the, the sample, the study was uh, of three thousand five hundred and seventy two adults. OK, and it was conducted May 18th through uh, May 23rd, 2021. So check that out. And 69% of the black respondents said they had a lot or some knowledge of Juneteenth compared with 31% of white respondents. All right. Uh, but a lot of what, a lot of what African-Americans know uh, about Juneteenth, especially in 2021 is not, is not accurate. Okay. Now, uh, let me see here. Where is that? Okay. Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. Where is, huh, I want to find this portion here, just a second here. Oh, you know what, I'm, I need the article from the Washington Post, it's in this article here from the Washington Post. Okay. Senator Ron Johnson, let's go to this article here from the Washington Post. Just a second here. Let me flip through these screens. All right. Also, if you like cyber information, you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Okay, here, hold on. Okay, so it's the article from the uh, Washington Post that I wanted. Okay, Senator Ron John, Republican of Wisconsin, had blocked legislation of the Juneteenth Bill 2020 after the murder of George Floyd. In Minneapolis and the broader national reckoning on race that followed renewed momentum for the efforts to formally commemorate the uh, day marking once again Washington Post has it wrong marking the end of, of slavery and what you even saying that that's when they got the word that they were free it didn't end slavery in Texas this is Washington Post getting it wrong. Also, this is it's safe. It, it, it's safe to say this is this is when enslaved Africans and Galveston, Texas, 
got to work, they were free. And that's the date that was agreed upon, even though it's going to continue days after that. Major General Gordon Granger comes into Galveston, Texas, June 18th with 2,000 Union troops to take back control of Texas on behalf of the Union and deliver General Order Number 3. There's still going to be slaves that are kept for another year in Texas. Okay, now such popular bills and routine me measures are passed without formal vote, formal floor votes in the Senate as long as they have the consent of all 100 members of the Senate, which means a single senator could unilaterally hold up the process, which means a single senator could unilaterally hold up the process. But in a surprise, Senator Ron Johnson, who had opposed Juneteenth as a federal as a federal holiday for economic reasons, he opposed not not because he's a racist. Okay, he is, but not because he's a racist. This is this the same guy who, after the January sixth insurrection, said uh, on a, on a radio show, he said uh, he didn't fear uh, the the domestic terrorist insurrectionists because they were fellow Americans. He said, but if they had been Black Lives Matter or Antifa, okay, he would have feared them. All right, no, because. No, he's he's a white supremacist. All right, now, but anyway, he went to, so he voted for this bill also, all right? But he cited economic reasons. In a Thursday, uh, June 17, 2021 interview, Senator Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin, who's up for re-election uh, in 2022, by the way, November 2022, he's up for re-election. He said, um, he objected to the push in, in 2021, uh, in, in 2020, because it was sprung on senators with little notice. It was sprung on senators with little notice. Um, and that he opposed granting federal workers another holiday at a cost of hundreds of millions of dollars. This was his argument for voting against Juneteenth in 2020. His office pointed to a 2014 National Public Radio report that said a single federal holiday cost $660 million in payroll and holiday premium pay costs, citing the Office of Budget and Management. This is why he said he voted against the bill. Now, this is an example of how Americans need a massive history lesson. There are only 100 U.S. senators. He voted against making Juneteenth a federal holiday because he didn't want another federal holiday and he didn't want the federal government to have to pay $660 million. Let's just be honest. He didn't want a, he didn't want a national holiday for black people. He, he didn't want a national holiday dealing with slavery, things like this. Okay. How do you think he's going to vote on reparations? If a reparations bill comes to the Senate, how do you think he's going to vote on that? This is why America must have a massive history lesson. Because your understanding of history influences your politics and who you vote for and the, and the bills and policies, the laws, policies, legislation that you support. OK, now. So read that article from The Washington Post. Also read the one from New York Times dealing with how most Americans know little or nothing about Juneteenth. OK, now I want to go to this other article here. We were talking about the Emancipation Proclamation. And why it did not free the slaves? OK, let's look at this quickly here at history.com. Also, I have a two and a half hour lecture that I did last year dealing with the history of Juneteenth. I'll give you some information about that. 
It's at a, you can order that at our new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Uh, I'll also post some uh, information here dealing with that as well. And we have it on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, uh, also. So I built a new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. It's much easier to uh, navigate, especially on your smartphone. Let me show it to you quickly. I, I worked on it uh, last week, uh, Thursday, Friday, and uh, Saturday some. So it's theafricanhistorynetwork.com. The old website, africanhistorynetwork.com, is still up, but this is much easier to navigate. And we have... Um, a lot of my DVD lectures, things like this, information about the radio show, uh, information about the online classes that I teach. You can register for all that here. But uh, we have the information here. We scroll down. Um, okay, we have where I'm going to be speaking. We have that here. There's also an upcoming events page, which has where I'm going to be speaking. But these are some of my lectures here. And we have the Juneteenth lecture right here. Click right there. Has the Juneteenth lecture. You can order that. We also have it in digital download format as well. DVD is, is ten dollars. is about two and a half hours, so you can order that right from your smartphone also. All right, now I want to look at this here dealing with the Emancipation Proclamation. We learned in school the Emancipation Proclamation freed the slaves, but no, it really did not. Now this is from History.com, the official website of the History Channel, and in my ten-week online class that I teach from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, we deal with a lot of this type of history, okay, in that uh, in that ten-week online class. And that class meets on Sundays, normally uh, normally 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but we have a special session that we're doing uh, Sunday, 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. So as soon as you register uh, for the class, you can. Uh, you can watch the archive sessions that we have. You can join us in class on Sunday, June 19th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, so here they talk about the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation, which was September 22nd, 1862. It was a military strategy. It was an ultimatum to the uh, uh, territories in rebellion and the Confederacy that if they did not come in, back into the Union by January 1st, 1863, that their slaves would be free, okay? Lincoln did not actually free all of the approximately 4 million men, women, and children held in slavery in the United States when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation uh, the following January, January 1st, 1863. The document only applied to enslaved people in the Confederacy and not to those in the border states that remained loyal to the Union, Missouri, Kentucky, Delaware, Maryland. They were still slaves. But although it was presented chiefly as a military measure, the proclamation marked a crucial shift in Lincoln's views on slavery. You can read more about that. It also leads to the July uh, 1863 New York City draft riot, which was a bloody uh, draft riot where uh, enraged white, poor white men, poor white immigrants, Irish and German immigrants especially, who could not pay the $300 to avoid being drafted to fight in the Civil War. They went on a rampage attacking federal buildings, similar to what they did January 6, 2021. They were attacking African-Americans, killing them, things like this, attacking white women married to African-American men, et cetera, all right? Read the rest of this here, dealing with the Emancipation Pro uh, Proclamation, okay? It did not free the enslaved Africans. It's going to be the 13th Amendment, ratified uh, December 6, 1865, when Georgia ratifies 
the 13th Amendment that's going to legally free the slaves and, and amend the U.S. Constitution, okay, and legally free the slaves all throughout the United States, even though you're still going to have some uh, Native American nations, uh, the, 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 those five civilized tribes of Native Americans, some of them are still going to keep their slaves until uh, 1866, 1867. All right, now, so let's look at this here. Um, if we look at is uh, one piece here that I want to well, let me show you this here. Uh, uh, I'm going to go to the slide presentation here. Let's pull this up. Uh, we got Juneteenth in there. Okay. Yeah, let me pull this up right here. Right now, okay, this deals with the article from, um, this deals with the article here from the New York Times I was just telling you about. And then if we look at a slide here on uh, dealing with some of the history of Juneteenth, let's go to that, that is slide number 32. All right. Okay, so June 19th, 1865, Galveston, Texas. General order number three, delivered by Major General Gordon Granger. He was backed up by about 2,000 Union troops. They come into Galveston, they come into Galveston, Texas, uh, come into Texas in general, uh, January, uh, uh, June 18th, uh, land on the beach there. And then they go into Galveston. Now, there are about 250,000 enslaved Africans in um uh, Texas. Okay. General order number three read in part of uh, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute uh, equality of personal rights and property rights between former masters and slaves, between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor, between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. Okay, so they wanted them to work for wages, negotiate wages with the, their former slave masters, things like this. Now, you're going, they're going to go through Texas for a number of days and deliver general order number three, okay? Once again, June 19th was the date that was agreed upon to uh, celebrate and commemorate uh, Juneteenth. That wasn't the only day that uh, General Order Number Three was delivered, and the other slaves did not get the word either. Okay, so we have to keep that in mind. But it's good to celebrate on June nineteenth. That's fine. All right, it's good to celebrate, but we have to deal with the real history and deal with history, politics, law, and uh, economic empowerment. If we look here uh, briefly, I want to go to an article here from uh, 
history.com that I cited because when I did my lecture last year, I have um, about three or about four pages of notes dealing with the history of, June, of Juneteenth that um, I put together from different sources. But I want to look at this uh, article here quickly. What is Juneteenth? And if you go and look, I encourage everybody to Google Juneteenth, read some of the articles and see how they have incorrect information, incorrect historical information in those articles, saying it was the day slavery ended in the U.S., saying it was the day all slaves were freed in Texas. Oh, that's false. Okay, so what is Juneteenth? Once again, how's everybody doing? Share this broadcasting on social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in. I'm Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. We're dealing with our main topic. Uh, Juneteenth is a federal holiday. Now what? Juneteenth is a federal holiday. Now what? So Juneteenth commemorates the effective end of slavery in the United States. That's wrong also. So Juneteenth, short for June 19th, marks the day when federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas in 1865 to take control of the state of Texas and ensure that all enslaved people be free. Okay, that's pretty that's pretty accurate. That was the intention. And they were taking back control of Texas. Texas was part of the Confederacy. Now, it's important for people to note, right? Texas was more removed from battles in the Civil War than other surrounding uh, Confederate states. And you had some slave owners who fled surrounding uh, southern states and went into Texas and took their slaves with them for refuge to get away from the Union troops, to get away from the battles of the Civil War. So Texas became a safe haven, so to speak, for a lot of slave owners who wanted to keep their slaves. Okay, so uh, Galveston, Texas in 1865 to take control, to take control of, and I want to look for my notes here, uh, to take control of the state of Texas and ensure that all enslaved people uh, be free. Now, the troops arrival came two full years after uh, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which was an executive order. That's true. But once again, Keep in mind, Lincoln had no authority to tell the Confederacy what to do because the Confederacy has seceded from the Union, set up their own constitution, set up their own monetary system. So you have no authority to tell them what to do. Now, when you take back control of that territory with, with force, that's why you needed an army to take back control. You can bring them back into the union and bring them back under the constitution, under your laws, et cetera. And they surrender. Keep in mind the, they surrender. So April 9th, 1865, uh, general Robert E. Lee surrenders to uh, Jerry Ulysses. That's grant at uh, Appomattox courthouse in Virginia. The civil war is still going to continue to a lesser extent for another 16 months. People look at April 9th, 1865 as the effective end of the Civil War, but it's going to continue for another 18 months. The reason why, about another 16 months, it, it, it uh, officially ends August 1866. The reason why is because even though General Robert E. Lee's Confederate Army was the largest Confederate Army, it was not the only Confederate Army. 
there were other smaller Confederate armies, okay, that still had to uh, be, they still had to surrender in terms of, uh, terms of surrender had to be negotiated with them, negotiated with them. The second largest army was General Joseph E. Johnston's army in Tennessee, which had 90,000 troops. And then there were smaller armies. You had Nathan Bedford Corse, that traitor, that white supremacist, his army, his Confederate army. So you had, so the Civil War goes for, um, it's about another um, 18, about another 16 months or so, okay? If you read this article here from um, history.com, this deals with why the Civil War ended 16 months after uh, General Robert E. Lee surrendered. Why this, let me pull this up quickly just to show you this. Because a lot of times people don't know this information, don't know this history, okay? Which is one of the good, which is why Juneteenth is a good thing. We have to incorporate this type of history into Juneteenth, okay? Why the Civil War actually ended 16 months after Lee surrendered, okay? So read this article here from... Um, History.com, once again, another good article from History.com. And this is some of the information that I teach in my online uh, history classes from the uh, the one I teach on Sundays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. We specifically deal with this type of information. Why the Civil War actually ended 16 months after Lee surrendered. For one thing, things were a little confusing in Texas. Things were a little confusing in Texas. Uh, and then also now it would be more than uh, 16 months before President uh, Andrew Johnson uh, would declare a formal end to the conflict in August 1866. Now, here is uh, Ulysses S. Grant. I'm sorry. This is William, uh, William Tecumseh Sherman. This is William T. Sherman of the Union uh, negotiating the terms of surrender with General Joseph E. Johnston of Tennessee. OK, for one thing. Lee had surrendered only his army of Northern Virginia to Ulysses S. Grant, General Ulysses S. Grant, who would become president. A number of other Confederate forces still remained active, starting with Joseph E. Johnston's army of Tennessee, the second largest Confederate army after Lee's. Okay, On April 12th in North Carolina, uh, General Joseph E. Johnston and his men received news of Lee's surrender. The next day, General William Tecumseh Sherman, Sherman's Union Cavalry, captured Raleigh, North Carolina, pushing Johnston's forces westward. Under relentless pressure from uh, uh, General uh, Sherman, Johnston reached out to discuss peace terms. After the newly sworn-in president, Andrew Johnson, and who was from Tennessee, who was actually a Democrat from Tennessee, they brought... Um, the Republicans brought uh, him onto the ticket to balance out the ticket, and they're trying to keep a civil war from, from exploding. And there were different uh, compromises put in place and laws put in place to keep a civil war from taking place. Missouri Compromise of 1820, uh, Compromise of 1850 after the Mexican-American War, 1846-1848, Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854. They, were, they, they, they kept for decades trying to keep this explosion from happening that exploded April 12, 1861, that we call the U.S. Civil War when, uh, uh, with the attack on Fort Sumter in uh, South Carolina. Okay. All right. So uh, read, read the rest of this article here. Johnston had 90,000 soldiers, okay, virtually all remaining Confederate troops in the, in the Carolinas, Georgia, and Florida, 
okay? Uh, in the biggest surrender of the Civil War, General Joseph E. Johnston gave up around 90,000 soldiers in all, virtually all remaining Confederate troops, troops in Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Um, but then you had Nathan Bedford Forrest, okay? He had to give up his troops also uh, at Gainesville, Alabama, and you had others. So this is why the Civil War still continued to a lesser extent, though, until August of 1866. How many people learned this in school? How many people learned this in school? All right, now, let's go back to uh, this piece here uh, quickly here on uh, Juneteenth. Because when we come together, we have to correct this history. When I was in Atlanta for the first time for the Juneteenth Festival, you know, I just knew everybody knew the history of Juneteenth and everything. And, and I, I just, <laughs> I just, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, <laughs> you know? So that's why when we come together with the barbecues and the cookouts and the music festivals and things like this, we have to have education as well. Okay. Um, so the troops arrival came full. Okay. Whatever. Uh, Juneteenth honors the end of slavery in the United States. No, it does not. It, it, it did not end slavery in the United States. And it's considered the longest running African-American holiday. On June 17, 2021, it became a federal holiday. Now, um, okay, Major General Gordon Granger, after General Robert E. Lee surrenders. Okay, the Emancipation Proclamation issued by Lincoln, January 1st, 1861, 1863, had established that all enslaved people in the Confederate States in rebellion against the Union shall be then, thenceforward, and forever free. But re in reality, the Emancipation Proclamation did not instantly free any enslaved people. The proclamation only applied to uh, places under Confederate control and not to slave-holding border states, and not to slave-holding border states or rebel areas already under Union control. So, um, Confederate territories that came back under Union control, they could still keep their slaves. And the border states that stayed loyal to the Union, Missouri, Maryland, Kentucky, and Delaware, they could keep their slaves also. They were exempt. When you go actually read the Emancipation Proclamation at archives.gov or loc.gov, the Library of Congress website, you're going to see all these exceptions to it. It didn't do what we thought it, what people think it did. Okay. However, as Northern troops advanced into the Confederate South, many enslaved people fled behind Union lines. That's true as well. Okay. Okay. So read the rest of this here. In Texas, slavery had continued as the state experienced no large scale fighting or significant presence of Union troops. Many slave owners, many enslavers from outside the Lone Star State of Texas had moved to Texas as they viewed it as a safe haven for slavery and they took their slaves with them, okay? After the war came to a close in the spring of 1865, yeah, but it's gonna keep going on to August 1866, General, uh, Major General Gordon Granger's arrival in Galveston, Texas that June signaled freedom for Texas's 250,000 slave people. All the emancipation uh, did not happen overnight for everyone. Although, pay, pay, pay attention to this here. See, this is what I'm saying. It didn't end slavery in Texas. We can celebrate that day when they got the news and they had celebrations that they were free. 
I mean, some of y'all celebrate when you get, some of y'all celebrate when you get divorced. Some of y'all celebrate when Friday comes and you leave work and don't have to go back to Monday. Think about being an enslaved African in Texas and you find out you're free. Hell yeah, they celebrated. I ain't mad at them. Although emancipation did not happen overnight for everyone, in some cases, enslavers withheld the information until after harvest season, celebrations broke out among newly free black people and Juneteenth was born. I, I've read some of the slave narratives. I don't blame them for celebrating. Absolutely. Now that December, slavery in America was formally abolished with the adoption of the 13th Amendment when Georgia ratified 13th Amendment December 6, 1865. That the following year, the, the year following 1865, freedmen in Texas organized the, uh, the first of what became the annual celebration of Jubilee Day on June 19th, Jubilee Day on June 19th. In the ensuing decades, Juneteenth commemorate, commemorations featured music, barbecues, prayer services, and other activities. And as African-Americans migrated from Texas to other parts of the country, the Juneteenth tradition spread. The Great Migration, 1915 to 1970, six million African-Americans migrate out of the South and up north, okay? Migrate out of the south and up north. And it totally changes this country, but they take their traditions with them. 1879, the black exodus. 1879, largely coming from Louisiana and Texas. 6,000 African-Americans migrate from Louisiana and Texas, and they go out to Kansas, okay? Looking for a better way of life. They take their traditions with them. So as African-Americans migrate out of Texas, Okay, and go to other parts of the U.S. They take these traditions with them. They may, if, if they may call it Juneteenth, they may call it something else. Okay, but they take these traditions with them. This is why Juneteenth is not just a Texas thing. Okay, this is why Juneteenth is not just a Texas thing. It's an African American thing. We go all across the country. Just like Motown music is not just a Detroit thing. Even though Motown music started in Detroit, it went across the country. It went around the world. But it definitely went across the country and it had an impact across the country. So African Americans across the uh, African African Americans across the country can should definitely celebrate Juneteenth. But we have to correct the history and protect the history, and we have to incorporate history, politics, economic empowerment, and law into this. And, and use Juneteenth as coming together, not just as a time for celebration and having fun and things like this. That's cool. I understand that. But we have to uses as a time when we come together to educate our people as well, especially politically, economically. We should, th that weekend, we should focus ex as much as possible supporting African-American-owned businesses. When I go to the Juneteenth, the three-day Juneteenth parade and festival, the parade and music festival in Atlanta that Bob Johnson puts on, not Bob Johnson from BET, but another Bob Johnson. There's at least 100 black vendors there. I'm one of them. This year, I'm here in Detroit because I'm speaking at different places, and I ain't I, I ain't paying to go to Atlanta. It's just it's still too damn expensive. I'm sorry, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't have it like that. All right, but okay, I will be broadcasting live Sunday, the African History Network show, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, I will be doing special sessions of my online history classes this weekend. So, if you have not registered for my online history classes that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays, um, 
ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. I normally do that on Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have the information at our new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Okay, so I'm going to do a special session on Saturday, June 18th, 10 a.m. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. Okay. So if you miss it 10 a.m., if you register for the class, you can go back and watch it. I'm going to do a special broadcast 10 a.m. because I'm speaking uh, Saturday afternoon out in Mount Clemens, Michigan. So I won't be able to uh, do the class at the, at the regularly scheduled time. And then on Sunday, I'm speaking at a church, St. Clement's Church out in Inkster, Michigan, Sunday morning, and then I'm speaking Sunday morning and early afternoon. And then I'm speaking uh, at another event in Inkster that's around the corner. So we're going to do a special session of my Sunday class from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. We're going to do that at 7 p.m. on uh, Sunday, June 19th. Then I have to do my radio show 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. on Sunday. So we're going to do a special one hour session of the class that said about the classes at my online school is not on Facebook and YouTube. So you got to register for the class to, to actually get the information from the class. Okay. That's at my online school. All right. But you can register here. We'll post the information here and we have a bundle, a bundle pack where you can register for both classes for a hundred dollars. Regularly, the classes are $130 each. There's some bonus lectures that you're going to get from me in digital format. So it's over $300 value that you get for a hundred dollars. Uh, so the bundle pack is on sale, a uh, hundred dollars. We'll post the information here. As soon as you register, you can start watching, uh, the classes we did uh, last weekend because we had that information archived. Okay. All right. Um, I want to go back to, uh, okay. So we did the article from history.com and I want to go to, um, this here. Let me see. I'm okay. I made notes of what I wanted to talk about. And we got that. Okay. Now, there was a good article here just to give you an example of um, uh, where where is that? Uh, Martha Gibbs. This was a white woman who um, was in Texas and she kept her slaves. Let me see. That was dealing with um, white women and slavery. I've talked about this before. The research from uh, Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers deals with how um, 40 percent of slave owners in 1850 and 1860 were white women. 40% of slave owners in 1860 and 1850 in the U.S. were white women. Okay. If we look at this article here, the massive overlooked role of female slave owners. Now, the article should say white female slave owners because we weren't talking about Asian Americans. This article is not talking about Asian Americans and the research from Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers out of California. She's talking about white women. It's estimated that 40% of slave owners may have been white women. Okay, that's a polite way of saying it. Um, but they talk about, so they mentioned Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers and her research and her book, They Were Her Property. Okay. I've talked about that information before. History professor at the University of North Carolina, Berkeley. All right. Now, 
in this article, they mention a um, they mention a white slave owner in Texas named Martha Gibbs. Martha Gibbs. And I want to go to that here. Okay, slaveholding parents typically gave their daughters more enslaved people than land. More enslaved people than land, said Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers, whose book, They Were Her Property, White Women as Slave Owners in the American South, came out in February 2019. What this means, quote, what this means is that their very identities as white Southern women are tied to the actual or the possible ownership of other people. What this means is that their very identities as white Southern women are tied to the actual or the possible ownership of other people, okay? Now, white women were active and violent participants in the slave market. They bought, sold, managed, and sought the return of enslaved people in whom they had invested, in whom they had uh, a vested economic interest, in whom they had a vested economic interest. So, see, when I read things like this, and I've been studying history for 30 years, okay, founded the African History Network in 2010. I speak all across the country. Go back to Ron Johnson, not Ron Johnson on a different world, but Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. The trillions of dollars that African people have generated for this country over uh, just look at 246 years of slavery, but say four, say 400 years, 1619 to 2019, just say 400 years or, or 403 years now, okay? Yes, I know that African people are the original people in North Central South America, and we've been here in this land. We call it the United States of America at least 51,700 years. I understand that. And Dr. David M. Hotep's work, I've interviewed him, what, 14, 15 times. I understand that. But when I hear people like Senator Ron Johnson say that he didn't want the federal government to pay $660 million for a pay, another paid federal holiday in overtime, that's just ridiculous. After all that African people have done for this country. That's just ridiculous. But this is why America must have a massive history lesson to understand what African Americans have contributed to this country. And when we talk about repairing the damage of slavery and racism, Jim Crow segregation, things like this, it's not just 246 years of slavery. What hap is what happened after slavery ended and the laws and policies put in place that continue to maldistribute wealth, wealth power resources. This is why the, the 500 page study that the California reparations task force put out is, is so monumental. It came out June 1st, 2022, the California California's first in the nation task force on reparations for black Americans said it has documented 170 years of systemic discrimination by the state, of California and demanded comprehensive reparations for those harmed by that history of government sanctioned oppression. But they also deal with the United States government in general, not just state government in California. In a 500 page report released Wednesday, June 1st, 2022, a legislatively mandated task force argues 
that 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 the present day wealth gap between black and white Americans in California and the rest of the country is a direct result of slavery, Jim Crow laws, redlining and other government policies that have locked African-Americans into failing schools and over-policed communities, have locked African-Americans into failing schools and over-policed communities. Segregation, racial terror, harmful racist neglect, and other atrocities in, in nearly every sector of civil society have inflicted harms which cascade over a lifetime and compound over generations, the 500-page the report said. The task force called its interim report the most extensive document on government discrimination against the black community since the landmark 1968 Kerner Commission report that President Lyndon Johnson, he accepted, he, he, he accepted the report, didn't agree with all the findings, basically set it to the side and did not implement what the report recommended. Now, partly it is true he was dealing with the Vietnam War at the same time. And Dr. King talked about how the Vietnam War took attention away from the civil rights movement and then the uh, uh, human rights movement and the poor people's campaign, things like this, because America's attention was going towards the war effort. All right. But we need to revisit the, the Kerner Commission report along with this 500 page report from the California Reparations Task Force. Uh, committee. Okay, so read this one right here. All right. There's another article I'm going to show you dealing with that because it deals with the theft of black art and music, the theft of black art and music. I want to go back to this one uh, quickly here, uh, dealing with white women and slavery for just a second. Okay. And uh, if you like this type of information, also, you can support the African History Network, uh, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, et cetera. And uh, you can um, still register for the online history classes uh, that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. And uh, I posted the link here for the bundle pack and um, or you can register for the classes individual, individually. And we have the information at our new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com the African history network.com. Okay. I want to go back to this piece here. dealing with white women and slavery. This is the type of information that America has to be exposed to. This is the type of history that America has to be exposed to because so much of this has been hidden for so long. So when we talk about repairing the damage of a legacy of slavery in decades of Jim Crow segregation, racism, uh, redlining, uh, discrimination when it comes to getting business loans, uh, college degrees, et cetera, right? That is reflected in who is elected into public office. Who you elect into public office reflects your understanding of politics, history, and law and policies. So 62% of Americans knew very little or nothing about Juneteenth in June of 2021, okay? What other history don't they know about? What other history don't they know about? Americans are very ignorant of history. Americans are very ignorant of when it comes of, of what's in the U.S. Constitution also. If we look at this article that I cite oftentimes, when I say ignorant, I'm not saying stupid. They're, they're different. Some of them are stupid. We saw them 
stormed the U.S. Capitol building January 6, 2021, said the president invited us. Uh, the president has no control over the U.S. Capitol. That's not his house. He can invite you to the White House. He can invite you to the U.S. Capitol building. You're on your own, player. You trespass and y'all being prosecuted. You're on your own. The president, and, and notice, Donald Trump did not give a single one of those domestic terrorists uh, insurrectionists a, a presidential party because he didn't care about them. You got used by a pimp. That's what happened. You got used by a white supremacist political pimp. That's what happened. And some of them still haven't figured it out. But they're going to learn. As Trick Daddy said, you're going to learn. Okay. <laughs> you're going <laughs> I said, to. I said, they're going to learn. I'm telling you. Um, this is piece here I want to go to. This was a study that came out, I think it was 2018. Um, uh, the U.S. The U.S. lost $16 trillion from the economy uh, because of racism over not over 246 years, but over 20 years. OK, this was September 2020, uh, 2020, not 2018, 2020. This gives you an example of what I'm talking about. So this is why when I was on the Tammy Mack show on Fox Soul TV on uh, Wednesday, uh, June 15th, and we were talking about um, Juneteenth and Juneteenth being a, being a federal holiday and should it be a federal, federal holiday. Conversation about reparations came up. And Dr. Carl Mack and I, we, were talk, we talked about legal arguments for reparations based upon Article 1, Section 9, one, Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution, which led to the abolishment of the international transatlantic slave trade, and that went into effect uh, January 1st, 1808. If we look at this here quickly, America could have been $16 trillion richer if not for inequities in education, housing, wages, business investments between black and white Americans, between black and white Americans over the past 20 years, new research concludes. Okay. Not 400 years, not 246 years, not 157 years after chattel slavery ended, but just over 20 years, the year 2000 to 2020. America could have been $16 trillion richer if not for inequities in education, housing, uh, wages, and business investment between black and white Americans over 20 years, new research concludes, new research concludes. And I may zoom in on this. Can you all see this okay? All right. That looks pretty good. Now, the study released uh, in September 2020 by Citigroup Bank is the largest, is the largest in a body of research that attempts to quantify the economic impact of systemic racism. Another one dealt with the segregation tax, and it was from the Brookings Institute which that dealt with how African-American homes are valued at $156 billion less than comparable white homes. The average African-American home is valued at $48,000 less than comparable than a comparable white home, which, which then impacts generational wealth and the uh, racial wealth gap. Okay. And that partly deals with home, uh, housing appraisals as well. Discrimination when it comes to housing appraisals. Citigroup arrived at a $16 trillion figure after estimating that Black workers have lost uh, $113 billion in potential wages. 
over the past two decades because they could not get a college degree. Two, the housing market lost $218 billion in sales because black applicants could not get home loans. Three, um, about $13 trillion, about $13, about $13 trillion in business revenue never flowed into the economy because African-American entrepreneurs could not access bank loans. So you're dealing with racism all throughout society, okay, which has cost, cost the U.S. economy $16 trillion. It didn't just hurt African-Americans. It hurt everybody. The brunt of the racism was directed towards African-Americans, but it negatively impacted everybody. Now, the study goes on to say the U.S. could have $5 trillion in gross domestic product over the next five years if those gaps and others were closed today, the study indicated. If those gaps and others were closed today, the study indicated. Closing those gaps is based upon changing the laws and policies, repairing the damage of a legacy of slavery and Jim Crow segregation and racism and the laws and policies that were put in place that continue to inflict this harm, which is what the California Reparations Task Force 500 page report documents. All this is connected, but it's related to who you elect in the public office and who others elect in the public office, which is based upon their level of understanding of politics, law and history. This is why America must have a massive history lesson. And we can use Juneteenth and the race in the in the uh, June 1st uh, commemoration of the Tulsa race massacre, which a lot of people did not know about across the country. You know, more African-Americans knew about it, but a lot of a lot of people across the country did not know about the Tulsa race massacre. Let's go back uh, quickly to this article here dealing with the massive overlooked role of white women when it came to owning slaves. So uh, they bought, sold and and sought the return of enslaved people in whom they vested economic interests. Owning a large number of enslaved people made a white woman a better marriage prospect. They said a woman, they should say, be specific, say a white woman. Owning a large number of enslaved people made a white woman a better marriage prospect. Once married, white women fought in courts to preserve their legal ownership over enslaved people as opposed to their husband's ownership and often won. For, quote, for them, slavery was their freedom, said Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers in her book, They Were Her Property. For them, for white women, slavery was their freedom. Now, um, there's a segment I want to go, there's a portion here I want to go to that deals with, uh, I need to find this here. Uh, as adults, white women often tore black women away from their babies so they could nurse uh, the white mistress baby. To this end, white women placed thousands of advertisements, placed thousands of advertisements in newspapers looking for enslaved wet nurses to uh, feed their own, breastfeed their own children and created a huge market for enslaved black women who had recently given birth. Why did these white women want black women to nurse their children? One, one, one white woman complained, quote, she felt like continuously having children and continuously nursing her children made her a slave to her children. That's an, that's an actual quote, Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers said. Um, 
is it? Let me see here. Uh, there is, let me find this here. There's a part that I want that deals with white women slave owners. Okay, I think um, face-to-faceafrica.com has an article on this. Yeah, because they cite the work from Professor Stephanie. This is an article here that I saw. Because I cited this in my notes when I put together my uh, presentation on Juneteenth for last year. And I have a printed copy of it here. Uh, I'm going to start writing articles again since I don't have to do the African History Network show six days a week. They do it on Sundays. So I'm going to start. Can I get past this ad? I'm going to start writing uh, some articles. Yeah. So if we look here, close out some of these ads. Face-to-faceafrica.com. Let's look at this article here. This deals with um, three unforgivable ways. Three unforgivable ways white women profited from slavery. This is from February 21st, 2019. And they cite uh, Stephanie E. Jones Rogers research here in the um, article. Okay, I can't close that ad out. Uh, they mentioned Martha Gibbs here, who's the white woman slave owner I was referencing. Uh, women upon the death of their husbands inherited more slaves than land, thus enslaved people usually became their primary source of wealth. Professor Stephanie E. Jones Rogers uh, writes that white women took part, took an active part in the slave market, profited from it, and used it for economic and social empowerment as evidenced by a female slaveholder named Martha Gibbs. Okay. Now, uh, the sawmill owned in Mississippi that Martha Gibbs, uh, the saw, the, then, then a sawmill owner in Mississippi, Martha Gibbs owned a large number of slaves and was in charge of their daily management. When the Confederates surrendered, Martha Gibbs led some of her enslaved workers to Texas at gunpoint and forced them to work for her until 1866. Slate, uh, uh, Slate.com reports Stephanie E. Jones Rogers as saying in her book, See, this is what I was saying, that Texas served as a refuge for many slave owners during the Civil War. And they fled surrounding states like Mississippi and things like this and went into Texas because there was less of a presence of Union troops in Texas. And they took their African slaves with them. 
she kept them in, in Martha Gibbs kept them enslaved till 1866. That's after Juneteenth. June 19th, 1865. She kept them enslaved to 1866. Now, most of the women, most of the white women showed independence in their handling of their enslaved workers, often calling off the bluff of their husbands. When their husbands pass away, they still made wealth by their continuous control of the enslaved Africans who would continue to work for them. All right. Okay, so read the rest of this article here. Three unforgivable ways white women profited from slavery. And they they cite the uh, piece from Slate.com also. All right, now. Let me close this out. Okay. Um, all right, I'm going to look at my notes, see where I am here. Just a second. How y'all like this type of information? Give me a thumbs up. Give me a heart. Give us a like. So, so we talked about the emancipation. Why did not free uh, the slaves? We dealt with some of the history of Juneteenth. Juneteenth being a national holiday forces a conversation about the history of this country, the history of slavery, African Americans, etc that Republicans are passing laws and state legislatures to suppress the teaching of that history. Juneteenth also, it connects us to the Civil War and even more importantly, it connects us to the Reconstruction Era. Why is the Reconstruction Era so important? Because the Reconstruction Era, 1865 to 1877, is directly related to what's taking place today. Okay, it's directly related to what's taking place today. We deal with police brutality, voter suppression, the racial wealth gap, all of that. There was an article from Time Magazine from, um, this is from uh, January 12, 2022. A new report finds that 45 states out of 50 are failing to teach students about the period that shaped race relations in uh in the united states after the civil war they're talking about the reconstruction era 1865 to 1877. a new report finds that 45 states are failing to teach students about the period that shaped race relations after the civil war so this was six days after the january 6th uh, i'm sorry this was uh a year and six days after the january 6th 2021 insurrection in the aftermath of the insurrection a year ago at the u.s capitol many leading historians drew parallels between the violence that we saw january 6 2021 and the reconstruction era the period of political revolution directly following the american civil war because it's going to be political violence that helps to bring about an end to Reconstruction. Quote, now this is Eric Foner, who's an award-winning historian, Pulitzer Prize-winning historian. He said, the events we saw reminded me very much of the Reconstruction era and the overthrow of Reconstruction. The Reconstruction era and the overthrow of Reconstruction, which was often accompanied or accomplished 
I should say, by violent assaults on elected officials, similar to what you saw January 6th, okay? They were looking for Nancy Pelosi. They were looking for Chuck Schumer, Nadler, Mike Pence, and others. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, any African-American elected official they could have gotten their hands on, they probably would have killed, okay? Let's just be honest. It just came out that the that the Proud Boys said that they had gotten their hands on Mike Pence. It would, it would not have been a good day for him. Eric Foner is the author of Reconstruction, America's Unfinished Revolution, 1863-1877. He said this in an interview with the New Yorker magazine published a week after the January 6, 2021 insurrection. Now, scholars say that studying the aftermath of the Civil War, scholars say that studying the aftermath of the Civil War, now Civil War is 1861-1865, Reconstruction is 1865-1877, then you have to study the Jim Crow era, okay, which comes after Reconstruction and um, leads us to uh, the Great Migration of 1915, 1970, World War I, 1914, 1918, World War II, 1939, 1945, um, the Civil Rights Movement starting with Brown versus Board of Education, uh, 1954. In the U.S. in recent years, okay, from the brutal murder of George Floyd um, by police in Minneapolis, Minnesota in 2020, to the voter suppression laws enacted after uh, African Americans played a big role in helping Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris become, uh, helped him become president and vice president in 2020. But keep in mind, January 6th insurrection, that was the day after the January 5th special uh, runoff elections in Georgia and the two, Demo two Democrats beat the two Republicans and Reverend Raphael Warnock became the first African-American U.S. Senator from the, from the great state of Georgia that passed a law in 1963 to keep African-Americans from winning statewide elections. That was the, that was the 1963 law champion by Denmark Groover, who was uh, a member of the uh, state legislature. He was a white supremacist segregationist Democrat. He was a member of the state legislature in uh, uh, Georgia, and he championed the statewide elections bill, uh, elections law, that stated that if no one, uh, uh, no candidate got more than 50% of the vote, you had to have a runoff election between the two top vote getters, okay? This was specifically designed to help to keep African-Americans from gaining statewide power, governor, uh, U.S. Senator, things like this. All right. The reason why, the reason why is because if all the African Americans voters, if they put their uh, votes, their support behind one uh, African American candidate, okay, and that person won, then this gave white people a do over. So the white candidate could come in the, in the, uh, general election 
and all the white all the white voters could put their votes behind one white candidate regardless of a political affiliation they could put all their votes behind one white candidate to defeat the african-american candidate because there was more white people in georgia than african-americans especially who could vote so when senator Raphael warnock became the u.s senator from georgia he beat the system that was never supposed to happen this infuriated a lot of white people. A lot of them stormed the U.S. Capitol. A lot of those domestic terrorists incited by Donald Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol. And John Ossoff, who's the first uh, Jewish American, I think he was the first Jewish American senator from Georgia, he won Democrat as well. They beat the two Republicans, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. And what's, what's, what's really crazy is that Raphael Warnock beat Kelly Loeffler in the primary. So then he had to run against her again in the general election. He beat her again, but that's because of the law by Denmark Groover, 1963. Research that. Uh, 11alive.com has an article dealing with uh, that history. Okay, and why there's special runoff elections in Georgia and some of these other southern states, many of them former Confederate states. This is why all this history is connected. This is why all this history is directly impacting what's happening today. The Civil War, the January 6th insurrection is a continuation of the Civil War and Reconstruction and the political violence that brought about an end to Reconstruction. That is, the, 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 their descendants attacked the, the U.S. Capitol January 6th. Okay. Um, let's continue here. Okay, so I want to look quickly here at this article from uh, Time Magazine. All right, now, many students, uh, but despite the timeliness of the era in today's climate, many students in American schools will not get a full education of Reconstruction until they get into college. Many of them are not going to go to college. Many of, them, many of them are not going to go to college. So where, where are they going to get the, the, the lesson on Reconstruction from? And, and a lot of them are, are keep voting for these Republicans that screw them over and vote against their own interests. Because they, they want to focus on keeping resources and benefits away from African Americans. So they'll, buy, they'll keep voting for Republicans that keep screwing them over especially in these former Confederate states. There's a reason why these former Confederate states are red states, a Republican-dominated state. That's a legacy of the Civil War, when, which was an insurrection, and they seceded from the Union to set up their own government to maintain slavery because they said slavery was essential to their way of life and their wealth. In social studies standards for 45 out of 50 states in the District of Columbia, Discussion on, on Reconstruction is partial or non-existent. So what do you think these people know about Juneteenth? Discussion of Reconstruction is partial or non-existent, according to historians who reviewed how the period is discussed in K-12 social studies standards for public schools nationwide. In a report produced by the education nonprofit, the Zen Education uh, Project, which has a ton of information there, the studies authors say they are concerned that american children will grow up to be uninformed about a critical period of history that helps explain why full racial equality remains unfulfilled today 
what's taking place right now is directly related to the reconstruction era let me repeat this the the, the zen education projects uh the, the studies authors say they are concerned that american children will grow up to be uninformed we could put in a and we can put in brackets there uninformed like their parents uninformed like their parents about a critical period of history that helps explain why full racial equality remains unfulfilled today because ignorant people keep voting for the wrong people to put in political office that's why all this is related okay so read this piece here from uh time magazine okay uh a new report finds that 45 states are failing to teach students about the period that shaped race relations after the civil war that's why juneteenth is so important is dealing with that period of time one is the only federal holiday that deals with slavery and even acknowledges slavery two it deals with that critical period of history this is why when we come together for juneteenth celebrations we have to deal with history, politics, law, and economic empowerment. All of that is connected. Okay, now I want to go to, because I, I made some notes here, and the notes that I put together are based upon the conversations that we had in the uh, media interviews, uh, the three interviews in different outlets that um, were done with me on Wednesday. The Tammy Mack uh, show on uh, Fox Soul TV, The Business of Being Black, Urban Interest, or, um, Urban Interest on uh, Urban Information Network of Angela Matthews, and then the interview that Ken Coleman did with me for Bridge Bridge Detroit Magazine. And these were some of the things that came up. Okay, and that's why I titled this uh, broadcast: Juneteenth is a federal holiday. Now what? How do we utilize Juneteenth to get these bills passed, to get what it is that we say that we want? Juneteenth can be a launching pad for that. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow the people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. But America must have a massive history lesson. Okay, let me just go through, look at my list. I'm checking things off that we talked about. We talked about Reconstruction, Civil War, 13th Amendment. We talked about all that. Um, this article here, I said there was another one I was going to show you dealing with the California Reparations Task Force. What they're doing in California is fantastic. We know that they're going to uh, whatever reparations benefits they come up with is going to be distributed based upon uh, African-Americans in California being able to trace their lineage back to someone who came to the U.S. prior to 1900, okay, prior to 1900. Uh, if your ancestors came in 1902, you're out of luck. It's not going to be for all 2.6 million people. It's not going to be for all 2.6 million African-Americans in California. Why? Number one is because in California, there's a law that bans race-based policies. In, Cal in the state of California, there's a law that bans race-based policies. 
So you can't give reparations to all African-Americans. But to get around that law, they're going to do it based upon lineage, being able to trace your lineage back to an African-American who arrived prior to 1900. So they're dealing with the people who were harmed as opposed to just all African-Americans because you can't have race-based programs. The other thing that's important to note, and a lot of people don't know this, we talk about this on the African History Network show because we deal with like real substance. Um, because of uh, Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, non-discrimination and federally assisted programs, at the federal level, it's illegal to have race-based pro programs. You can have programs for minorities, but it's illegal to have uh, race-based programs at the federal level. So I encourage, let me see, is this the right one? It's the one I want here. I want Title VI here. I'm going to show you something here that a lot of people don't know. We've talked about this here recently on uh, the African History Network show. I want Title VI. I'm on section 601, Title VI. Okay, right here. Everybody should read the 1964 Civil Rights Act, federal law. It took nine years from when the Montgomery bus boycott started to get the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Go to archives.gov where you can read all this stuff. The U.S. National Archives, archives.gov, Civil Rights Act of 1964, okay? If you go to Title VI, and the Civil Rights Act did a lot of things. It banned discrimination when it came to employment, which deals with economics for African Americans. It banned discrimination when it came to public services and public accommodations, things like that, okay? It also created the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC. That's all from that that one uh, federal legislation, 1964 Civil Rights Act. Title VI, non-discrimination and federally assisted programs. This is why if we ever get reparations, it's not going to be for all African-Americans. People, Some of our people haven't figured this stuff out yet. Section 601, no person in the United States shall on the ground of race, color, or national origin be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any program, under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. This is why you can't have policies just for black people. And I see people putting out so-called black agendas saying they want race specific policies. Obviously you ain't consult with an attorney. Because if you had consulted with an attorney that actually like passed the bar or even just passed law school, they would have told you that's illegal. This is why we need to study law also. Because a lot of this stuff people saying they won't, you ain't going to get. It's, a, it's not going to happen. It's fantasy. Read Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, non-discrimination and federally assisted programs. It's put in there because we were being discriminated against for decades from federal programs. Now, you can have programs for uh, minorities. People think minority set-asides is a bad thing. That means you don't understand law. That you get a, the, the, What we should focus on, we should ask the question, 
when you have minority programs and minority set-asides, why aren't African-Americans focused on becoming the majority of the minorities getting the benefits? Why aren't we focused on becoming the minority of the majority of the minorities getting the set-aside contracts? My thinking is different because I actually manage African-American-owned companies that had government contracts. And we had minority business status. And when you submit bids, you get extra points on the bid when they, when, if they uh, grade the bids based upon a point system, like 100 points, things like this. You get extra points for being a minority-owned business, especially if you have your certification. Because we, we had uh, contracts in the city of Detroit, County of Wayne, and the state of Michigan. So we went through the verification process and we got the, they have uh, um, certifications, small business certification, women owned business, minority owned business, things like this. You get extra points on the bids. I've put together bids that we've won. So when I hear people talking about, I don't want minority set aside program, you're a damn fool. I'm just telling you, you have no experience in this. You have no experience in it. That's a benefit. We should be focusing on being the majority of the minorities getting the contracts, getting the benefits. You're gonna let the you're gonna let Latinos and Asian Americans take all of it. That's why you focus why you try to get a fantasy called reparations, and because of Title VI, that all African Americans are not gonna get reparations. And you're gonna need you're gonna need 60 votes in the Senate to get reparations, which means you're gonna need some Republicans. Show me some Republicans that support reparations. No Republicans in the House of Representatives support reparations. Out of about two hundred, about about two hundred and fifteen of them, none. Not even the Black Republicans support reparations. Senator Tim Scott, the only Black Republican in the Senate, say he's not vote for reparations. If the Black Republican doesn't vote for reparations, how many white ones you think gonna vote for it? Very few people want to have these conversations. These are the type of conversations we need to have when we celebrate Juneteenth. So we can separate fact from fiction. And people and our people can stop walking around being pimped by black social media pimps who are lying to them, pushing this nonsense. Okay. So read this here at archives.gov. Spend some time doing some research at the U.S. National Archives. All that information is there. And we deal with the, the, the online history classes I teach. We go through, break all this stuff down. Okay. Um, 1964 Civil Rights Act. You can also read the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Did you know that the if you, you can, if you go to justice.gov, you can read about the Hate Crimes Act. Okay. Because the first hate, did you know the first hate crimes bill signed into law in the history of this country was signed by President Lyndon Johnson in 1968? And it was largely for African Americans. It was part of the 1968 Fair Housing Act, which is part of the civil rights movement. Did you know that? Because I hear people saying, oh, Asians got a hate crime bill. Well, no, that means you didn't go read the bill. The bill is called the COVID-19 hate crimes bill, COVID-19 hate crimes act. Read it at congress.gov, which is where you can go to read all these bills, congress.gov. The bill, that bill is not race specific and it deals with COVID-19 related hate crimes. That means that bill applies to African-Americans also. We haven't read the bill and don't understand it. It's a very weak bill. That's why it passed so quickly in both the House and the Senate, because it's a weak bill. That that largely deals with reporting hate crimes. But we don't we just repeat this nonsense from headlines and memes and stuff like that. Go read that bill. The black farmers are being sued for getting government 
form. Yeah, so I've talked about this here on the show. The the, the black farmers being sued, um, and that wasn't even four billion dollars they were getting. That was four billion dollars in debt forgiveness. Okay. See, nobody wants to talk about um lawsuits that are gonna happen to block reparations if reparations takes place. And which is a long way off because a lot of these arguments people are making for reparations are not even legal arguments. So they're not. That's another conversation, but that, that, that's not going to happen. Um, but when we look at African-American farmers, I've talked about this before. I've talked to John Boyd, president of the Black Farmers Union, when I'm on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Um, there was four billion dollars in debt forgiveness. For. Uh, black farmers, Latino farmers, Native American farmers, etc. This is part of the. Um, this was part of the one point nine trillion dollar America Rescue Plan that no Republicans in the House or the Senate voted for. And that part of the bill was put into the bill by Raphael Warnock and Senator Cory Booker and other Democratic senators. They put this into the bill. NBC News. NBCnews.com, judge orders temporary halt to $4 billion federal loan relief program for farmers of color. Okay. Now, what happened was you had about 11 lawsuits from white farmers, about 11 lawsuits from white farmers who said their constitutional rights were being violated because they couldn't take advantage of this debt forgiveness. This wasn't $4 billion in cash they were given. This was for, for forgiving $4 billion in loans that they already had. A federal judge in Wisconsin has ordered a temporary halt to a $4 billion federal loan relief program aimed at addressing loan standing inequities. Pay attention to this. Because people talk about getting reparations, but they don't talk about keeping reparations when you get when it gets challenged in court. And Donald Trump has nominated one quarter of the federal judges and and uh, six, and 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 you have a, a six-three uh, conservative majority court. Nobody wants to have this conversation. A federal judge in Wisconsin has ordered a temporary halt to a four billion dollar federal loan relief program aimed at addressing long-standing inequities for farmers of color. After a legal challenge, after a legal challenge by white farmers who argue the policy discriminates against them. Judge William Greisbach found in an order issued Thursday that white farmers, quote, are likely to succeed on the merits of their claim that the U.S. Department of Agriculture's use of race based use of race based criteria in the administration of the program violates their right to equal protection under the law. He issued a temporary restraining order blocking the Department of Agriculture from proceeding with the loan relief payments. A department spokesman, Matt Herrick, told NBC News, we respectfully disagree with this temporary order uh, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture will continue to forcefully uh, defend our ability to carry out this act of Congress, et cetera. All right. The plaintiffs in the case, 12 farmers from nine states, 12 white farmers from nine states, had filed suit against the U.S. Department of Agriculture over the roughly $4 billion set aside for loan forgiveness. It wasn't $4 billion cash. 
What do you think will happen if reparations ever gets becomes federal law gets signed in law by a president? They're gonna be they're gonna be lawsuits filed the next day to block it. And then you're gonna have to litigate it in court. That's why you that's why reparations, whatever legal arguments you make for reparations, and they need to be legal arguments, just saying we then this may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. Just because you disagree with it or don't like it does not mean it's not true. And I'm gonna put out a challenge. I want people people to provide the evidence. I'm all for reparations, but I'm for making legal arguments for reparations. Not a lot of this nonsense floating around. Saying that we work for free for 246 years or whatever, however long you want to say during slave, saying we work for free and never got paid, therefore we should get reparations. That's a moral, a moral argument for reparations. Yes, slavery was wrong. Yes, we should not have been enslaved. Yes, we should not have been forced to work for free. But it was legal to one, enslave African people. Two, in this country. Two, it was legal not to pay them. So when when your argument for reparations or your main argument for reparations or when you go to lawmakers and argue reparations, it's saying... Our ancestors, because all the former slaves died in the 1950s. Let's be clear. None of us were there. All the former slaves died in the 1950s. Okay? So when we say our ancestors worked for free for 246 years, therefore, we should receive reparations compensation. Repairing the damage, things like this. What law are you citing that slaves were supposed to be paid? Show it to me. What colony was it in? What year? What state was it in? Was it federal law? State law? Was it in a county? Was it in a colony? Different colonies had different laws. Just because you have one law in one colony doesn't mean it applied to all the other colonies. What law are you citing that slaves were supposed to be paid when you go to lawmakers who legislate law and the foundation of law in this country is the U.S. Constitution? Article 6 of the Constitution says that the U.S. Constitution, all the previous treaties and all the subsequent treaties of the supreme law of the land. There are legal arguments to make for reparations. That's not one of them. When you look at Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution, which led to the international transatlantic slave trade being abolished, which we see come up in the uh, United States versus the Amistad U.S. Supreme Court case of 1841 and those Africans, Joseph Q and those other Africans from Sierra Leone win their freedom because the U.S. Supreme Court rules that it was illegal for that ship to come into the uh, U.S. waters because the international transatlantic slave trade had been abolished and uh, those Africans, it was illegal for those Africans to um, be captured uh, because the, the uh, European nations entered into international treaties, including the United States, entered into international treaties to abolish the international transatlantic slave trade. OK, we're going to go back to archives.gov here for just a minute because I got to get out of here because I have to do a radio show interview at 10 p.m. Uh, I got to do a radio show interview uh, shortly here and get ready for that. I am planning to be on this long. Um, so let's just look at this quickly. Okay, this is archive.gov, U.S. National Archives, Amistad case. This is about the Amistad slave ship, U.S. versus Amistad, 1841. 
In February of 1839, Portuguese slave hunters abducted a large cargo of Africans from Sierra Leone and shipped them to Havana, Cuba, a center for the slave trade. This abduction violated, pay attention to this, this abduction violated all of the treaties then in existence. They're talking about international treaties because the United States in 1807, 1808 entered into international treaties with the other European nations to abolish the international transatlantic slave trade, which meant capturing Africans in going into Africa, capturing them, and then also taking them into other countries to sell them. That was abolished. Now, they kept violating this, but it was abolished. Then, and then um, March 2nd, 1807, the U.S. Congress abolishes the international transatlantic slave trade. It goes until 1st, January 1st, 1808, which is rooted in Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution. Okay? And... It stated that the earliest that the international transatlantic slave trade could be abolished was uh, 1808, okay? And if we look at uh, Cornell University has the Constitution Congress, okay, I'll show you the actual text. We'll look at congress.gov, which is where you can go to read the bills. Um, but uh, Cornell University's website has uh, information on this also. Okay, but I'll show you that here in just a second. Um, Cornell University's Law School's website and then uh, thought.com. But I'll show you uh, the information here at uh, congress.gov, which is the U.S. Congress uh, website. So we'll look at that here. We'll look at that language here briefly. Okay, but uh, back to the Amistad very quickly here blow this up okay uh two pan two spanish plantation owners pedro montes and jose ruiz purchased 53 africans and put them aboard the cuban uh, uh schooner uh amistad to ship them to the caribbean plantate to ship them to a caribbean plantation on uh july 1st 1839 the african seized the ship killed the captain and the cook and ordered montes and ruiz to sail back to africa click here on uh read more Okay, now they're going to be they 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 um, they navigate towards the U.S. at nighttime and they end up in the U.S. Okay, uh, the plantation owners were freed and the Africans were imprisoned on charges. Uh, Montez and Ruiz actually Montez and Ruiz actually steered the ship north because uh, they changed the direction of the ship at nighttime. And on August twenty fourth, eighteen thirty nine, the Amistad was seized. The Amistad was seized off. Uh, Long Island, New York, by the U.S. brig uh, called uh, Washington, uh, because it was illegal for slave ships to come in, and they had uh, naval ships out on the uh, on the waters uh, at sea looking for slave ships, because it was illegal. Uh, although the murder charges were dismissed, the Africans continued to be held in confinement, and the case went to trial in the federal district court court okay so it ends up in the u.s supreme court all right now i want to get to the ruling just for the sake of time um abolitionists okay abolitionists helped them raise money got them attorneys uh john quincy adams the former sixth president was one of their defense attorneys um let's see here supreme court decided in favor of the africans 
stating they were free individuals kidnapped and transported illegally. They had never been slaves. Senior Justice Joseph Story wrote and read the decision, uh, quote, it is it was the ultimate right of all human beings in extreme cases to resist oppression and to apply force against ruinous injustice. Uh, the opinion asserted the Africans right to resist unlawful slavery. The opinion asserted the Africans right to resist unlawful slavery. The court ordered the immediate release of the Amistad Africans. The 35 survivors were returned to their homeland. The abolitionists had to raise money for them to send them back because they were not awarded money in court, but they were awarded their freedom. The reason why they were set free is largely based upon Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution, okay, which leads to the international transatlantic slave trade being abolished March 2nd, 1807 by the U.S. Congress. If we look here at the U.S. Constitution, um, Migration or Importation Clause. This is Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1. The migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now exist shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year 1808, but a tax, but a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation, not exceeding $10 for each person. Okay. So 1808, that's 1808. That's the earliest it could be abolished. But a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation, not exceeding uh, $10 for, for each person as well. Okay. So this was uh, 1787, the Philadelphia Convention is voted on and ratified in 1788, the U.S. Constitution. It's abolished in January 1st, 1801, January 1st, 1808. All the Africans that were brought to this country from January 1st, 1808 through July of 1860, when the Clotilda comes into Alabama, all that's illegal based upon federal law. Their court cases, a white man who were, who were caught trafficking Africans into the country. It was illegal. That lays a legal foundation for slave for reparations. Because it's violation of federal law. Saying we didn't get paid is not violent or our answers because none of us were there. That's not violation of federal law. If you think it is, what federal laws are violated? What law are you citing the slaves are supposed to be paid? That's a moral argument, not a legal argument. Okay. So in conclusion, because I have to get out of here. How you all like this type of information? I'm gonna look through my notes. I think I got through everything. I wrote I'm made notes of what I wanted to talk about. Oh, hold corporate America accountable. I wrote that down. I almost missed that. Okay, so this is the type of information that we need to discuss when we come together with June team celebrations. There has to be a historical component, okay? Not just misunderstanding history. It has to be a historical component that has to we have to deal with politics, uh, law, economic empowerment, supporting African American owned businesses. All this stuff, okay? Now, there was a article, this right here. This article came out from CNN. I think it's from June 16th. 
I was reading it because I've been each day I've been going through uh, doing a Google search, looking at articles, these new articles written about Juneteenth. This is from CNN.com, June, Wednesday, June 15, 2022. People were offended, tone deaf corporations facing backlash for Juneteenth themed products. When I talk about protecting the history and legacy of Juneteenth, this is one of the things I'm talking about. We have to go after white corporations that want to pimp Juneteenth, okay, and sell us Juneteenth ice cream. We know Walmart got shut down when they tried to sell Juneteenth ice cream. Rightfully so. That was nonsensical. Read this article here. We'll talk about this probably Sunday on the African History Network show. Uh, I'm on Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to give you some brief information also about the online history classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Some of the slides that I showed you are from the, the history classes that I teach also. People were offended, tone-deaf corporations facing backlash for Juneteenth-themed products. Okay, uh, so, so they talk about uh, uh, Charlisa Starks Richardson was disappointed when she learned that the beloved children's museum in her community was selling a watermelon salad in celebration of Juneteenth, okay? Starks uh, Richardson, who often took her daughter to the Indianapolis Children's Museum growing up, said she expected uh, the museum would be more focused on educating the public about Juneteenth, which celebrates the emancipation of enslaved uh, Black Americans. Well, it's really dealing with slaves in, 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 in Texas, especially Galveston, Texas, getting the news that they were free. Okay, we've already dealt with all that. She thought she thought they would deal with she thought the museum would deal with some history instead of serving themed foods. Okay, to make matters worse, she said, watermelon has historically been used as a racist trope about Black Americans. Okay, so just very quickly here, dealing with watermelons, there was a broadcast I did a few years ago that dealt with how, first of all, watermelons come from, from ancient Egypt, going back to about 5,000 years ago, number one, okay? Number two, um, there was a, a broadcast I did dealing with uh, how watermelons became a racist trope, okay? And it, de it dealt with slavery ended. And uh, I'm going to see if I could pull this up. Watermelon stereotype. Uh, it dealt with after slavery ended and how uh, during slavery had little gardens and things like this and will and can make money afterwards. That was one of the main crops we were selling. And then it became it became a racist trope. It became uh, let me see this article here. Uh, they, they want me to sign up for another subscription. Too many subscriptions. Okay, let's see here. Okay, this article here. This is one of the articles I cited a few years ago when I talked about um, 
watermelons and how it became a racist trope. From the Atlantic.com, how watermelons became a racist trope. Before its subversion in the Jim Crow era, the fruit symbolized black self-sufficiency. Okay, before its subversion in the Jim Crow era, which is a, a, a period of history that we need to study. And then um, in the class I teach on Sundays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, that's a period of history that we look at. Okay, uh, Raymond C. Brown, uh, Raymond A. Brown, okay. There, there, was a, uh, there was a song by uh, a man named... Um, was it, it was um, Harry C. Brown. Harry C. Brown, 1916, Columbia Records. N-word, love a watermelon, ha, ha, ha. It's on YouTube. Go listen to it. N-word, this, is, this is one of the attacks in, um, in watermelon being a racist trope. That song, N-word, love a watermelon, ha, 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 recorded on Columbia Records by Harry C. Brown, became a big hit um, in America. And it was making fun of African-Americans and uh, us eating watermelon. But white people eat watermelon also. Not a problem for white people to eat watermelon, just for us. Okay, let's look at this here. Do I have it up? Uh, let me close out one of these articles. Okay, to make matter. Uh, uh, okay, here I want to go to this one here. Okay, it's. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm going to skip past some of this stuff here. Uh, while mainstream media figures deride these instances of racism, or at least racial insensitivity, uh, don't white people don't white people like watermelon too? Because these conversations tend to focus on the individual intent of the cartoonist, culture, MC. It's all too easy to exculpate exculpate uh, them from blame uh, because the racial meaning of the watermelon is so ambiguous. But the stereotype that African-Americans are excessively fond of watermelon um, emerged for a specific historical reason and served a specific political purpose. Emerged for a specific historical reason and served a, a specific political purpose. The trope came in full force. Pay attention to this. The racist trope of African-Americans loving watermelon and somehow that being negative. The racist trope came in full force. Not full force. That was at least at least in the coat jam. That's a different full force. The, the, the racist trope came in full force when slaves won their emancipation during the Civil War. Free black people grew ate and sold watermelons and in doing so made the fruit a symbol of their freedom. Southern whites threatened by African-Americans newfound freedom responded by making the fruit watermelon a symbol of black people's per perceived uncleanliness, laziness, childishness, and unwanted public presence. The racist trope then exploded in American popular culture, becoming so pervasive that it that its historical origin became obscure. So meaning that 
the stereotype of African Americans eating watermelon and showing pictures of us eating watermelon, things like that, that becoming a stereotype became so pervasive in America that people forgot the origin of the stereotype. It was rooted in black self-sufficiency. Few Americans in, in, uh, in the year 1900 would have guessed the stereotype was less than half a century old. Okay. Um, and then, okay, so read the rest of that. And then um, this article here from National Geographic. Uh, the 5,000-year-old secret history of watermelon. I'll talk about this in a presentation I did dealing with uh, why African-Americans eat uh, black-eyed peas on uh, New Year's Day. And we dealt with some of, uh, we dealt with some foods that you think are American but are really African. This article right here. The 5,000 year secret history of the watermelon. This is from nationalgeographic.com. Ancient Hebrew texts and tomb and ancient Hebrew texts and Egyptian tomb, tomb paintings reveal the origins of the summertime fruit. Reveal the origins of the summertime fruit. Um, 5,000 year transformation. The history of history has been screwed up, says Paris, who places the blame on generations of taxonomists stretching back to the 18th century. Um, even in even the name for the modern watermelon, Citrullus lanatus, is wrong. Lanatus means hairy, H-A-I-R-Y in Latin, and was originally the name uh, applied to the fuzz-covered citron melon. Okay. The citron melon, which grows in Southern Africa, is one popular candidate for the watermelon's ancient ancestor, but Paris is doubtful. He's found evidence that the Egyptians began growing watermelon crops around 4,000 years ago, which predates farming in Southern Africa. Or uh, I'm not sure which timeline they're looking at, but okay. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, read this uh, read this article here but we're talking about watermelon dating back 5,000 years ago in ancient Egypt all right uh, if you like this type of information you can support the African History Network dollar sign the AHN show through cash app then also through PayPal paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. So let's keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, etc. cetera. Uh, if you go to our new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, we have the Cash App link there. I'm going to put the YouTube link up. Uh, this is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. When you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture there. These other ones here are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. There's some other ones. It's just, there's a new fake one I just saw yesterday that is dollar sign, dollar sign, the AHN show at gmail.com. That's our email address, but that's not our Cash App tag. I've opened up uh, an invest. I've had Cash App open up an investigation because there are a number of fake African History Network Cash App accounts out there that are stealing money from us. This uh, this is our only Cash App account. Dollar sign the AHN show. 
okay when you click we have the information here when you click on it it takes you right here to uh, a cash app and you can support us there okay those other ones are fake I'm trying to get them shut down all right now um, okay and we'll put the um, YouTube uh, we'll put the PayPal tag up also the PayPal link as well because these are this is, this is our new uh, official website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. All right, I want to go back. This is the last article, then I have to get out of here. Um, we were looking at the one from CNN.com. This deals with people were very offended, tone-deaf corporations facing backlash for Juneteenth-themed products. This is the converse, type of conversation that we need to have at Juneteenth celebrations sharing this type of information and organizing political education, political organizing, understanding law, history, economic empowerment. Okay. Um, Ms. Starks Richardson said people were offended by it. Uh, the watermelon, um, the watermelon salad at the museum. She said, everybody's trying to capitalize on Juneteenth to make money, but we don't need food. I want education. I want people to understand the purpose of Juneteenth. Go ahead, sister. Now we can sell food. We can sell food, but we got to have the education taking place as well. From Indianapolis, from the Indianapolis Children's Museum, uh, the Indianapolis Children's Museum has since apologized and removed uh, the salad from its food court. Okay. Uh, in a statement, the museum said it routinely relies on the food vendor to create thematic menu items and that the inappropriate name and label on the salad was not reviewed by museum staff. Okay. Other organizations and major retailers are receiving backlash for attempts to monetize Juneteenth with new products since president Joe Biden signed a bill declaring it a national holiday last year. Don't don't aren't there enough national holidays, enough stuff up there for white corporations to pimp. Don't they have enough? Don't they have enough out there to pump that they don't have to do that to Juneteenth? I'm just saying. But this is why we have to correct the history and protect the history of Juneteenth. From Indianapolis, from the Indianapolis Children's Museum's uh, watermelon salad to Walmart swirled red uh, velvet and cheesecake flavored ice cream to Dollar Tree's Pan-African themed plates and napkins. Inclusion experts say corporations are missing the mark inclusion experts and i made a note of this to talk about this inclusion experts are saying that uh corporations are missing the mark with juneteenth by failing to provide any historical contact with these items the companies don't appear to have considered how they could promote stereotypes or offend black people experts say because they ain't consult with african-americans Okay, some show, some some show, some social justice activists also insist the efforts are more performative than genuine and don't address as they don't address the systemic inequalities that demonstrators marched for in 2020 after the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, etc. See, this goes to policy. We have to leverage Juneteenth being a federal holiday to educate people, also educate people on policies that are beneficial for African-Americans. And if it's beneficial for us, it's beneficial for America. 
But then this also goes, this also relates to who we vote into public office. Now, and not just who African-Americans vote in public office, but Americans in general. Because Juneteenth is a federal holiday and Juneteenth deals with not just African-American history, it deals with American history. Because last time I checked, slavery was sanctioned by the U.S. Constitution. Among the issues were police violence against black people, voting rights, um, voting rights and reparations. Okay. Now you ain't making legal arguments for reparations. You need to learn how to make legal arguments for reparations. You need to talk to me on this, or Dr. Carl Mack and some others. Uh, Amara Enya, E-N-Y-I-A, a public policy expert for the, for, uh, movement for black lives and you don't have to agree with agree with any of these organizations but they are making some of what they're saying is making sense said she said that the juneteenth product lines are tone deaf tone deaf and devoid of any real impact tone deaf and devoid of any real impact now Inya said companies should be using the juneteenth holiday to re-examine their hiring and promotion practices which is something i've been saying in, 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 in all levels of management and your board of directors and your contracts that you have, who, how, what percentage of African-American contracts do you have? Okay. How, what percentage of your profits do you put in black owned banks? These are conversations that we have with corporations that want to pimp Juneteenth. We need to have these conversations with all corporations we spend dollars with, but especially those that want to sell Juneteenth products. Their hiring and promotion practices to ensure they are being more inclusive of black applicants and employees. But it's but we're talking about senior level management, we're talking about executive management, we're talking about contractors. What percentage uh, what percentage of your advertising dollars are you spending with black owned media, radio stations, TV stations, uh uh the online platforms things like this how many african-american owned advertising agencies are you are you using see that is redirecting dollars that we spend with corporate america redirecting that to african-american owned businesses that's how you that's one of the ways to grow african-american owned businesses so they can scale up and hire more people and have more resources as opposed to 95 percent of our businesses having one employee the owner quote what people are demanding is not a new ice cream flavor or a new salad or any other symbolic gesture that really is just about generating profit for a commercialized holiday amara Inya said what black folks have been demanding are structural and systemic changes to the systems in this country that have been harmful and oppressive these are the conversations we have to have during Juneteenth, and those conversations have to then lead to action. This is a type, this is a time for political organizing. This is a time for political organizing. Yes, we can have the celebrations and the cookouts and things like this, but you got to have some substance, history, politics, law, economic empowerment. Some experts say the Juneteenth themed foods and products show corporations are suddenly trying to commercialize a holiday 
that African Americans have celebrated since June 19th, 1865. Well, re really, we know 1866, they really started celebrating, celebrating it annually. Uh, but we've been celebrating this since 1866. Commercializing holiday, the Black Americans have celebrated since June 19th, 1865, when Union Major General Gordon Granger announced the end of, it wasn't the end of slavery in Galveston, Texas, Lord, please. It wasn't, the, it, that's when they got the news. Okay, that, that, that wasn't the end of slavery in Galveston, Texas. That wasn't the end of slavery in Texas. He did go into Galveston. He went throughout Texas delivering it. That wasn't the end of slavery. In accordance with Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. Now, across the U.S., African-American families who honor the holiday traditionally host cookouts, music festivals, like the parade and three-day music festival they have in Atlanta that I go to sometimes, and I'm a speaker there prayer services and rodeo events. Some also indulge, indulge in red food and drink, which represents the bloodshed during enslavement, especially the red food, the bloodshed during enslavement. Now, Stephanie Leonard, an assistant professor of management at Howard University, who specializes in workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion, said corporations should not be profiting off the culture of marginalized groups. Go ahead, Stephanie. See, this is what I'm talking about. This, this is why we have to correct the history of Juneteenth and protect the history and legacy of Juneteenth. I said last year, we need to go after any of these corporations that want to pimp Juneteenth and sell Juneteenth products and all this stuff. Because traditionally, for Juneteenth, you had Black-owned vendors. Black businesses, things like this, doing business and, 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 and being represented at Juneteenth festivals and things like this. And now white corporate America is going to come in and pimp Juneteenth and they're not going to do systemic changes. OK, in their hiring practices and who gets contracts and where you put your money and, and where you spend your advertising dollars, things like this. You just want to pimp Juneteenth, make more money. No, no. uh, -uh. Especially when, uh, uh, Stephanie Leonard goes on to say, especially when they don't have a track record of supporting and being inclusive of those communities that they're trying to pimp. Go ahead, sister. See, that's what I'm talking about. Corporations, she said, can be more thoughtful in how they honor Juneteenth by doing more research and appointing a black-led committee, appointing, appointing a black-led committee that is invested in educating the public about the holiday. Juneteenth is an opportunity to give America the massive history lesson that it needs. At the same time, it's a history lesson that Republicans are passing laws and state legislatures to teach, to keep this history to varying degrees from being taught in schools K through 12. Stephanie Leonard said she called it tokenism. She called it tokenism when companies rely solely on one or two black employees to decide how Juneteenth should be marked. She said it's tough for organizations to put forth an ice cream or watermelon salad without having done the work prior. It's tough for organizations to put forth a, a, an ice cream or watermelon salad when they have not done the work, the prior work, because it, uh, because it just comes off as performative, as a latch, as a last ditch effort. 
It just comes off as performative as a last ditch effort. It does not come off as this organization values its black employees or values its black customers. So we know last month Walmart got blasted for having the, the ice cream and things like that. They took it off the shelf and, and apologized that they got blasted on the social media. Now, one critic accused Walmart of capitalizing on black culture and said the retailer can uh, better honor Juneteenth by promoting products by black owned brands. Walmart later apologized for the ice cream and removed it from their shelves, rightfully so. Quote, Juneteenth holiday marks a celebration of freedom and independence. Uh, Walmart spokesperson said African-Americans were not independent. We, it is a celebration of freedom. We still not independent. Because about 95 percent, of about close to 98 percent, 97, 98 percent of African-Americans primarily work for white people. You may have a side business, but that ain't what's paying all the bills. It's primarily work for white people. Okay. So I'm not criticizing African-Americans who work for white people. You need that because our dollars finance those companies. Our dollars pay for the stock purchase plans, pay for the health care plans, pay for all the benefits they get. The dollars we spend with those corporations, we need to work for those corporations to take advantage of that. But also we need to scale up and redirect those dollars that we get from white businesses that we work for, redirect a greater percentage of those dollars to African-American-owned businesses. However, we received feedback that a few items caused concern for some of our customers, and we sincerely apologize. We were reviewing our assortment and will remove items uh, as appropriate. Okay, now, uh, lastly here, okay, Dollar Tree faced criticism on social media when it, sh when it shared a post about Juneteenth product line that included plates, cups, napkins in Pan-African colors, red, black, and green, with the words celebrate freedom. Now, Lauren Tucker, an inclusive leadership consultant, said major corporations are not giving Juneteenth the thought, research, and care it deserves. Uh, Lauren Tucker compared products to companies simply checking a box, simply checking a box that says they recognized the holiday. Selling red foods without providing historical context shows the retailers shows the retailers really don't understand the meaning behind this commemoration, Lauren Tucker said. Absolutely correct. Quote, these are meaningful in terms of articulating both the pain and suffering of black Americans, African Americans, but also the celebration of freedom, Lauren Tucker said. And without contextualizing these foods by the context, by the history, you are just perpetuating more pain, more frustration, and signifying that you don't really understand or care about the history. Go ahead, sister. That's what I'm talking about, okay? Read the rest of this here. Uh, she said companies should uh, look to bring in independent consultants, research Juneteenth, and survey their customer base, survey their customer base uh, before putting out products for a culturally significant holiday such as Juneteenth. She said, we need to start taking our history much more seriously. Absolutely. I totally, as a historian, I totally agree with that. We need to start taking our history much more seriously in the marketing and business community and provide a platform for people to understand what these events mean to us as Americans. All right. So read the rest of this article here. 
uh, Wednesday, June 15, 2022, people were very offended, tone deaf, corporations facing backlash for Juneteenth themed products. All right, look, be sure to register for the online history classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, and we have, uh, I'm teaching it this weekend also for Juneteenth. So we have uh, uh, some special sessions Saturday morning. Uh, normally, my Saturday class, uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade. Normally, I do that on Saturdays, uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., but we're going to do 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll do an hour, and you can, as soon as you register, you can watch the other archived information because we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. The second class that I te teach from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, we're doing that, uh, it's normally 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., on Saturdays, but we're doing a special session 7 p.m. Uh, uh, on Sunday, Sunday, June 19th, 7 p.m., okay? So you can register at theafricanhistorynetwork.com, our new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We also have a bundle pack where you can register for uh, uh, both uh, courses for $100. They're regularly $130 each, okay? And we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded, so you can go back and watch it anytime. Okay, so visit our website, uh, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We have the information there. And then also we have the uh, uh, my Juneteenth lecture as well that I showed you at the beginning of here. The, uh, it's about a two-and-a-half-hour lecture I've done dealing with the real history of Juneteenth. We go deep into it. Um, this one right here. So when you scroll down a page, lecture titles from Michael M. Hotel. Click right here. It's $10. We also have it in digital download format for $5. Juneteenth History Emancipation Day, not Independence Day. Uh, we've got our 40 acres in the mule, Dr. King's Poor People's Campaign. And we're coming to get our check. Gather information here. I'll post a link here. You can order this. We have these DVDs shipping out, these lectures shipping out this weekend. And this uh, it's, a two, it's a two DVD lecture. So it's two DVDs that you get. All right, we have to get out of here. Remember, right now, it's correct wrong behavior. Thanks for tuning in. Follow us here on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network. Turn on live notifications so you know when we go live. Follow us on uh, YouTube, Michael M. Hotel on YouTube. Turn on live notifications. Right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over until we win. We're kind of forever, and we'll talk to you uh, next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.